You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 188 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is uh, Friday night. It is after game two, and you could probably already tell in my voice it was a much more enjoyable evening at the office. And uh, unfortunately for Eric Cole, he's not going to enjoy this one on the podcast because Scott Coleman is here. What's up, man? I lucked out with the podcast assignments. I, uh, I couldn't do yesterday just for real life obligations, so... I mean, I don't want to say I'm a good luck charm for the podcast, but I feel like I'm the good luck charm right now. You, you don't want to not say it, though. It's kind of what you're right? <laughs> <laughs> right, there. Right. Obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely know that the Braves even the series with a 3 nothing victory on Friday night. A breezy game, by the way. A sub-three-hour Major League playoff game just doesn't really happen with all the pitching changes that usually happen. And um, I, I can't remember who pointed this out to me on Twitter, so my apologies. But um, there were no mid-ending pitching changes in this game. And well, that, that's the way to do it. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's unheard of. That's, yeah, it's basically, basically unheard of. No, no mid-ending uh, pitching changes and, you know, low-scoring game and things just flew by. Um, and that allowed us to record. Uh, currently, it's 8.04 p.m. Eastern time, so pretty pretty early to be recording a post-game podcast on a Friday night. So lots of fun about that. But for me, anyway, the big, the big story of the night, and there were plenty of stories, uh, unlike – Unlike Thursday night where, uh, you know, we talked about things that were not terribly fun to talk about. And if uh, you want to sneak in your thoughts about game one at any point, Scott, you're allowed to. We, we don't have to, though. Um, but I think the story of the night tonight is Mike Fultonavich, who was unbelievably good. Um, I, I will credit this to Zach Dillard, friend of the podcast from Fox Sports South. But Fulton becomes the first Brave with at least seven innings and no walks since Maddox and Glavin. Um, that's pretty crazy. Uh, 81 pitches to navigate seven innings, three hits, no runs, seven strikeouts, um, obviously no walks as well. So just a f- flat out, you know, lights out performance from Fulton Avich, a 78 game score. Uh, I don't always love game score, but that's very, very good. Um, so it, I kind of just wanted to say at the top here how good he was and, you know, the offense scored three runs. They did enough to win. But, um, for me, you know, Duvall makes the big swing, but Fulton was the MVP by a lot. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about Atlanta Braves postseason starts over the last you know, 28, 30 years since they've gone on this magical run, I mean, the Fulte start today was, I think it's, I think you can argue it was top five. I mean, you, you look at not just, I mean, just the performance itself was magical, regardless of if it was a game one, a game seven, a game two, you know, seven innings against a, a pretty good Cardinals lineup, as you said, no walks, seemed like every inning except for one or maybe two, he, he was cruising through. Um, but just the everything surrounding the game, right? They lose a heartbreaker in game one. The here we go again uh, talk is kind of already happening. You have players and the manager throwing Ronald Acuna under the bus. And all of a sudden, if you lose today against Jack Flaherty, who's been basically the best pitcher in baseball in the second half of the season, if you lose today, all of a sudden, 24 hours, you have gone from a 97-win season to down 0-2 in a playoff series and about to go play two games, maybe only one game, in what should be a pretty crazy Bush Stadium. So um, hats off to Fulte. That was a masterful performance. Um, obviously, other than maybe his almost no-hitter a couple years ago in Oakland, yeah. that was as well as he's ever pitched in a big league game, and, and he was truly dominant from the very beginning. Obviously, the stakes were uh, <laughs> quite, a, quite a bit a higher high. this time around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, Just some more context here. Um, I think this is from the broadcast. I can't remember where I got this from, but the first Braves starter to throw even six scoreless innings in a playoff game since John Burkett in 2001. Oh my like, God. That's, 
that's a long time. And, and, you know, obviously there have been some good starts along the way in playoff games. I can remember a few up, to, up top of my head right now, but nobody actually got to the seventh unscathed and Fulte got to the, got, got through seven unscathed. So, you know, obviously masterful performance. We'll talk about more, uh, talk about him more as we get going here. But, you know, the whole story from him having to go to AAA this season, it kind of have all the makings. And Fulte's, of course, had the makeup issues where he gets a little bit frustrated with himself and all that stuff. And, you know, the, the famous wristbands that he, uh, that he was wearing <laughs> early in the season, um, you know, just a lot of awesomeness. And I look forward to, you know, a lot of the takes last night were awful. And the takes tonight, you know, I, there'll probably still be some. But a lot of it will be about how Fulte was great. And I think, you know, well-deserved for a guy that I certainly doubted this season. Like, he was really bad, and then he was, and then he was gone for a while in AAA. And you you kind of thought you couldn't trust him. And in the biggest spot of the season, by far, in a game where, again, your offense wasn't exactly lights out. You had to have a great performance here to win this game. And Fulte delivered it. And that, that's just huge. I mean, if they win this series... Something else along the way is going to have to happen in a super positive ma- manner, but they're they're not dead if they lose tonight. But you know, absolute life support. So just the pressure to take the ball and go out and basically just dominate for seven innings is just huge. Yeah, you know, you think about where where Fulty was in the middle of the year, and even Adam Duvall, for that matter. Duvall did a post game uh, interview about you know he he had to. It would have been really easy for for Fulty and Adam Duvall to check out over the summer. They're they're bussing around with the Gwinnett Braves instead of Earth Stripers, uh, instead of being in Atlanta, two guys who were clearly capable big leaguers. And, and to have the days they did today uh, were pretty huge. Um, you know, it, today's game almost felt like a regular season game. You know, it, was, it wasn't managed. You talk about being under three hours and no mid-inning pitching changes. It kind of felt more like a regular season game compared to what yesterday was when game one where it was just a cluster. I mean, you know benches are empty, tons of pitchers. Um, so it was good for the Braves to, I don't want to say it was stress-free because it was certainly not stress-free. <laughs> no. That's impossible. The Braves don't do stress-free in the playoffs, but it was a much needed performance uh, by Fulte, by Duvall, the whole team really, even if there were a couple minutes that or a couple moments that made you really uh, start to down things. Um, he was fantastic and, and clearly a big win for the team. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. It's a good point by you to talk about how, if you look at this at this box score, it's a very regular season box score. There weren't a lot of moves. Both pitchers throw seven innings, which doesn't really ever happen. Like occasionally, you'll get somebody throw somebody in a game throwing seven, but having both starters throw seven plus innings in a uh, playoff game just doesn't happen. Flaherty threw 117 pitches for the Cardinals. Yeah. There's yeah. just a lot of you know standard stuff, and clearly there were some decisions that were made that we're going to have to talk about along the way, but a lot less just happened in this game than what happened on Thursday for better and for worse. Um, you want to go through this thing top to bottom? It's kind of what Eric and I did last yeah. night. It'd be more fun this time around, but um, yeah. not quite as, as probably has as much detail this time. I would imagine. But I mean, the good thing I suppose here is that, you know, the scoring started early and after that, there was a really long drought without scoring, but the first inning, the Braves deliver a run um, in timely fashion. There was a semi-controversial non-review on the opening play. Uh, Acuna grounds out, and it looked like full, uh, Goldschmidt might have been off the bag. No review there, and he's called out. But then uh, Ozzy beats out an infield single with his uh, blazing speed. Gets a second. On, gets a second on a wild pitch, and then to third on a ground out by Freeman. And Donaldson delivers what I guess we. <laughs> I guess eventually became the winning run, which is kind of funny um, because it was at like you know five o'clock p.m. Eastern time, but. They take the lead in a hurry, and I tweeted this. It seemed I know it seems very obvious because it is very obvious, but I really did think that getting a lead in this game was huge. Like yeah. even more so than you would think. You know, having having a lead in any game is what you would want to have clearly. But after last night, getting a lead early and not having the doomsday scenario kind of kick in, especially with the crowd, like you you could sort of feel it last night when the crowd, you know. I've been, I've been in that building. I've been in other buildings where the crowd is out of it. It's not That's not everything. At, at the end of the day, it's what happens on the field. But it, it just would have been bad if they were suddenly losing in this game. To, so to take the lead in you know, 20 minutes from the start of the game was even better than you might think it would have been. No, absolutely. I, I had similar thoughts. It, uh, who knew that that first inning run would have ended up being the difference? But no one knew Fulty was going to have the performance he did. No one knew that the bats would basically go quiet until uh, the later innings. But... Um, but yeah, for, for the Braves to come out and almost kind of scrape across a run an infield single, you mentioned the pass ball or wild pitch, uh, they kind of manuf- manufactured a run, which was really important. I'm sure it gave the team a little bit of a boost because let's be real. I'm sure last night and even this morning leading up to the game was probably not a whole lot of fun for anybody around the team. 
Yeah, if nothing else, no one, you know, we, you, you, started, you kind of said it earlier, and, you know, we, we said play the last night, but even if you ignore sort of the content that was put out there and what annoyed us about how Ronald was treated and all this stuff, it became a national story today. Like, there, ESPN was running stuff about Ronald Acuna today in a way that you don't really see with baseball stories. And they were asked, everybody's asked about it repeatedly. Snicker did, Snicker did three or four media availabilities today. Like, there was just a lot of stuff happening to, to come out and take a lead in the first inning that is a, a very favorable thing and you know obviously Fulty had it going early but um even then to give him a little bit of cushion probably helped as well um you know nothing really happened in the second and third innings of any huge note at least in my opinion other than just kind of Fulty doing Fulty stuff early on using his slider really effectively and kind of just capitalizing on that I know at one point after three innings he was throwing Basically, three-fifths of his pitches, 59% of his pitches were sliders. That would have been a career high by a lot. I did not go back and see if he set a career high for his slider usage, but he was using it pretty much, I almost said all the time. Not all the time, obviously, but more than you ever see him do. And that's his best pitch. If he has it going, he absolutely should do that. But yeah. that was at least noteworthy. And I think the broadcast noticed it as well, but the StatCast guys were all over it. Just a ton of sliders and... It was cooking, so why not? But that yeah. was kind of all I had from the second and third. You know, the fourth was the one where the Braves should have scored and didn't. Um, but you know, second and third innings—that's kind of the only only note that I had. Yeah, no, he was. It was good to see him cruise, especially last night. You know, you compare game one, Keuchel had the really easy first inning, but then after innings two, three, four, and five, it seemed like every inning the Cardinals had a couple guys on. And granted, they they only scratched one across to, to Keuchel's benefit. Um, but uh, but Fulty really settled in. He you know every other than uh, in the fourth inning, Colton Wong just missed a, a two run homer. I <laughs> yes, thought he, he got it on the bat. I, it must have been hit a mile in the air. And being as warm as it is, I thought. I mean, when he hit it, I thought the ball was going to the chop house. Um, but thankfully, Matt Joyce just slowly kept kind of creeping back and, and eventually caught it. But um, that was the only real scare, frankly, the entire game uh, until the ninth inning that the Cardinals would muster. Yeah, you're right. That was definitely the biggest scare off of Fulty in the game was the, the one swim by Colton Wong, who's kind of been in my dreams, and we'll talk about that more later in the ninth inning. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of it. And, you know, the bottom half of the fourth inning was controversial. It ended up not mattering, I suppose. But uh, the Braves should have scored in the fourth inning. Um, Marquecas leads it off with a, with a single to left field, and Joyce follows it up with a single. Um, I credited Marquecas and, at the time, and I still mean that. Um, him going first to third there was big. It didn't end up mattering, but he took he took third and didn't, you know, it wasn't a no brainer that he was able to execute that. So that was a good thing. But suddenly you have first and third, no outs. You're thinking, all right, at least one run's going to score here. Some, <laughs> more, some more insurance. You um, would think. Yeah. Um, you know, the first one, and I think the one that kind of is getting overlooked a little bit now is that Brian McCann pops up. That was tough from Brian. And by the way, I noted this, but he screamed an F-bomb to the point where TBS actually had time to go back and dump it out. Like it, it, the, the broadcast <laughs> went silent for, you know, the two seconds that you would think. And yeah. uh, it was very clear from McCann's mouth what he said and screamed. So that was funny, at least. But um, that was, you know, first and third, no outs. You can't pop up there. That's that's rough. But then the uh, more controversial part happens. Um, originally... Snicker calls a squeeze bunt with Dansby Swanson that Dansby makes contact on, but bunts foul, which that would have been insane. We'll come back to that in a second. Um, then he lets Swanson hit for himself from there, which is at least a good thing. Dansby takes a 3-1 pitch that was a, uh, a hang. I know it was an off-speed pitch, but it was a hanger. Cement, yes. Yeah, cement. It was, uh, he should have crushed that. I mean, the one argument, I suppose, people were trying to tell me was that it wasn't a fastball. Like, if he wasn't sitting on it, then... But I'm, I'm, listen, man, like it was an awful pitch. And the overarching theme here is that Fulty's on deck and Fulty's the worst hitter imaginable. So you basically just have to make contact in this at bat. 3-1 pitch, doesn't swing. Okay, one more chance, full count. He strikes out on ball four. Um, a very clear ball, not close. Uh, stat cast, everything proves that that was not going to be a strike. Um, that's unfortunate. But even then, uh, Matt Joyce is running on the play, which is not his fault. He's clearly told to run on the play. They were basically hit and running. Um... I assume to avoid the double play, but honestly, if you if he doesn't hit into a double play, if they don't score a run, like Fulty's not going to do anything with it anyway. So that's that's yeah. kind of rough for me. And then Joyce does what he's supposed to do, I believe, and stops to try to allow Marquecas to potentially score from third. Marquecas sort of dekes toward the plate, but isn't going to make it. So he tries to get back to third. 
and get thrown out. So I know it's a long explanation to say hmm. it was kind of a cluster is the best yeah, way I think you said that earlier. Um, yeah. What, what did you think about the, I guess step one is what you think about the managerial decision. And then step two, obviously Swanson did not do his job, but the base running stuff, yeah, all that stuff. What, what do you make of the whole situation? Yeah. I mean, as you said, the whole inning was a mess at the time as it wrapped up. I, I think I tweeted, you know, if the Braves lose this game, the fourth inning might be why we would have we, we led with that on the podcast. That would yeah. have been the first thing we talked about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly. And you know, there's something to be said for just major league hitters being able to execute McCann or yeah, McCann missed an inside fastball, popped it up. And then I, I don't know. I mean, the, the safety squeeze with Dansby and a slow runner with Marcakis. I have no idea. I get that Flaherty is, has been amazing over the last few months, but even a halfway decent fly ball to the outfield scores a run, uh, none of the none of the arms in the Cardinals outfield are great. Um, so I mean, we, yeah, we were we were arguing at least maybe offline that there was an argument for the Cardinals to walk Dansby. I know there wasn't a base open, but because Fulty is so bad at hitting, that that I, I'm not sure I would have done this. But if the Cardinals had walked Dansby, no one would have blinked. It would have been like okay, they they want to pitch to Fulty and then have two outs because yeah. yeah. like Fulty's, I mean, I guess automatic out is a little bit too strong, but Fulty's as bad as it gets. At the no. plate. Well, and in that scenario, you don't want him swinging the bat. I mean, you would tell him to stand there. Just and stand if, there. Yeah, don't, if, don't, hit him, if, don't hit him into a double play, basically. Yeah, just like, basically, take, take don't even swing. Yeah, because you don't want him having to bust it out. You don't want anything like that. And hope yeah, that Ronnie's going to come, come through for you after he strikes out. Yeah, and my guess is, is is the Cardinals were evaluating their decisions or their options. Uh, they wanted to face Dansby and potentially the pitcher instead of <laughs> Cunha. Yeah, so... Um, you know, in the moment it was obviously a killer. It ended up not being as, as painful as it could have been, but, um, yeah, you just kind of just the way that in, in its recent history, what the Braves did last year's playoffs doesn't, doesn't mean anything this year, but it just kind of felt like you knew it was going to be painful. They weren't going to find a way to figure everything out. They were going to, uh, somehow botch first and third, nobody out. Um, again, thankfully it didn't, uh, it didn't come back to bite them, but it was pretty rough to watch in real time. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we could litigate this forever. I I don't love having the runner in motion there when it's Matt Joyce. Like, if if Dansby just strikes out as he did, Joyce has no chance of beating a throw to second base. He's not he's not a fast runner. No, um, unless unless something weird happens, like in a bad throw or whatever. So um, I guess the play there is to just do what do do what he did, stop and let Marquecas. You know, wasn't great base running. I have praised Marquecas now two days in a row for his base running. I thought he was really good on the base pass last night, and tonight he did a good thing before that, but that was not great either. So, I mean, none of it was good, but we can mercifully move on because it didn't end up mattering. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank God. Results over, results, over, results over process in the playoffs, yeah. Scott, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, what's, in, in fact, let's take, let's take a quick break, unless you have something that you wanted to add about the fourth inning. No. It's a good let's place to stop it. for a moment, and we'll come back and talk about the rest of the game and the rest of the series. So hold on tight. We'll be, we'll be right back after this. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott. Um, we're through four innings. In our uh, recap, and things get a little bit more interesting, but not for a while. The fourth and fifth innings were pretty boring. The offense went to sleep, essentially, in the fifth, uh, sorry, the fifth, the fifth and sixth innings, I should say. The offense was basically doing nothing. Um, Fulty, there was a weird period, and I'll include, my, I'll include myself in this, when he navigated the first five innings, and all the stats start popping up about the third time through the order. And I am capable, I'm culpable for this as well. But Fulty, I had my guard up. I, I tweeted out that he should have a short leash because, listen, any pretty much any pitcher, but Fulty has these has these splits as well, where the third time through the order is usually not very kind to pitchers. And in today's playoff environment, that's a big reason why guys don't go deep in the games. Even if they're pitching well, managers know this stat. They know that 
almost everyone gets worse as they keep going. Um, so I have my guard up, but then he kind of shoved it in everybody's face, including mine, with a seven-pitch inning in the sixth. Like, yeah. just, I'm not coming out of this game, fellas. <laughs> um, yeah. I appreciated that. Yeah, no, um, it was uh, full, I mean... After the debacle of the fifth of the fourth inning, everyone was kind of like on edge that you're like, oh, oh boy, yeah. here we go. Uh, so the fact that he was able to go out there and yeah, I think I think one of the guys uh, popped out on the first pitch, um, another maiden out on two, and and the other was a strikeout. So yeah, Fulty was really really good there. It kind of helped settle the nerves and calm everybody down a little bit. Um, so yeah, it was it was really impressive. There was a brief. Um... Again, very brief, I would say, moment of slight worry in the top of the seventh when Molina singled to break the streak of nine straight outs. Um, credit to Snicker for not taking out Fulty immediately there because a lot of managers would have at the first sign of trouble. Um, Fulty fortunately induced a uh, ground, uh, sorry, induced a double play immediately from Colton Wong that allowed him to get out of that inning, and that was the end of his night eventually there. Um, but yeah, that's the only t- the only time he really hit any any trouble. After like the third, after the second inning was uh, mm-hmm. that one base runner on the seventh, he was uh, really good. Obviously, um, the bottom of the seventh um, forced uh, a mini talking shop podcast fight in public. Scott, <laughs> uh, we have to, it's, it's, I am happy. I am happy to be wrong. <laughs> I concede this round to you. L- listen, I'm, I'm mostly kidding, but yeah, I mean, obviously, you and I are capable of disagreeing in friendly and you know cordial fashion, and that was going to happen in this in this spot. To set the stage a little bit here. McCann singles um, with one out in the seventh. Um, first decision that was kind of perplexing, and I stand by this. I don't know why he was running for himself still. Yeah. My only thought, somebody pointed out that uh, Max Freed, who was warming up in the bullpen, was much, much better this year with McCann catching him instead of uh, Flowers catching him. I have a feeling that was probably why. Um, but, mm, yeah, I mean – that that's a spot where I, I know it did, it did not matter at the end because of the home run that we'll get to in a second. That is basically the number one possible spot for Billy Hamilton. Like yeah. you have three catchers on your roster, and Brian McCann is I'm not exaggerating here the slowest runner in Major League Baseball, and he's running for himself. And I know you're winning, but you're up, you're up by one. It's not as I mean that that run is very important, and I I guess it you know it worked out because he didn't need to run very fast when he was trotting around the bases. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that was not great. I, I will stand by not liking that move. Uh, yeah, it was weird. Because for me, if you're going to pull Fulty and use Duvall as the pinch hitter, you're obviously playing for the run. So, of course, if Duvall hits one in the gap, McCann is not scoring. I think Dan Simpson no. um, of, of old Talking Chop fame tweeted, you know, unless unless Duvall homers here, uh, your McCann is not scoring on any ball that's put in play. So it was no. weird in the moment. And of course, Duval would go on to Homer and it was all, as you said, he, he got to trot around the bases at normal speed. Um, but yeah, it, it was just odd. I, I, I'm sure that the catcher thing, maybe that maybe Snit felt last night as the bullpen was collapsing. Part of that was Francisco Cervelli, just not being familiar with guys like Luke Jackson and, and Melanson the way that McCann is. Um, to go to flowers, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, so, uh, I um, mean, yeah, my, my, to your point there, by the way, I think there is just a, there's a dichotomy with what happened there. Like if you're playing for the run, which I think we all agree they were by pinch hitting for faulty, you don't play for the run in one aspect and not the other. So, I mean, hitting the home run makes it all irrelevant, but nothing else scores McCann there. So. And as I, you know, I alluded to this a second ago. I we talked about this at the beginning of the inning. You and I did in, in public forum on Twitter. I, I thought and I said if they had a runner on, they're going to have to hit for Fulte. And people, you know, it was kind of a split decision. I would say there were people on both sides, and I understand all the arguments. I know, I know, I know. And we've been talking about how good Fulte's been on this podcast. My general opinion is that after seven innings, if you have a runner on base, Fulte is the worst hitter imaginable. You know, you have to hit for him. I said that. I meant it. Um, with that said, you know, if you're ever going to make an argument, I'm going to, I'm, sure, I'm going to try to concede for you now a little bit, Scott, if you're ever going to make an argument about Fulty hitting for himself, it's probably with Brian McCann on first base and two outs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause he, you Literally. know, it's very unlikely that Brian McCann is scoring on anything. It's basically home robust. So if you're ever going to make that argument and I get, I, I wouldn't make it, but it's as close as it could possibly be there. 
if you're going to leave McKay on the field, and they did. So it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Obviously, it worked out great because, you know, Duvall is what I would have done. I would have hit Duvall, and that's what happened, and I would not have predicted a home run, even as a, you know, founding member of the Adam Duvall fan club that I am. But, yeah, just a, a lot of weirdness there that worked out. As you said, it worked out. I don't think anybody was was feeling super great about it in the moment. Especially, I can't believe I get you know talk about Duvall here. I'm still amazed that Flaherty threw a fastball to Duvall. Uh, yeah, that was that was slider, Yeah, I mean his slider had been cooking. It was three two. Maybe, maybe he didn't want to walk him or risk walking him with Acuna and then putting a runner in scoring position uh, for Ronnie. But uh, you know. Credit to Duvall and put together a graded bat, worked it full, and then just launched uh, launched a, a pretty center cut fastball. At first, I thought he got under it at first, and then uh, obviously he didn't. Um, I think he, he knew too. Like I watched the replay, I, I think he knew right away. Like he didn't yeah. he didn't do the full like bat flip thing. But for as much as Adam Duvall was going to do anything, I think he made it pretty clear off the bat he thought it was going. And, yeah. So, and the ball hadn't carried all night. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't one of those SunTrust games where it seems like every fly ball. Uh, and it was dead center too. I mean, he hit that ball to dead yeah. center field. He had he had to hit it, you know, four oh five to get it out of the ballpark. Like he had to kill it, and he did. It was four twenty three, yeah. at least on the Statcast estimate. But at that, you know, not just any balls getting 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 out of the ballpark to that, especially to that part of the ballpark. He he had to crush that, and he did. Yeah. No, and good on Adam Duvall. I mean, we ta- I remember talking about him. We you know we all did at the time of the trade last summer, and it, and it didn't work out for Duvall at all. Right. I mean, he was terrible last year. Uh, struggled in the spring spends the first couple months in Gwinnett you know it, it would have been really easy for him to say you know what my, my contract is fully guaranteed they kind of screwed me over here by sending me to the minor leagues I'm, I'm 31 years old I shouldn't be here um, but to his credit he obviously stayed stayed right he had some really big moments for the Braves during the season and then uh, one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest home runs or uh, yeah I think they said it was the first pinch hit home run for the Braves in the playoffs since 2010 with Eric Kinski um, so a, a moment that'll be remembered for a long time. Yeah, this one goes up there with uh, Hinsky and Rick and Keel. Um, yeah, in yeah. recent uh, NLDS home run fame for the Braves. Um, hopefully, this series goes better than those series went. But you know, Duvall, we were very high on Duvall on this podcast compared to the consensus. We spent a lot of time talking about how people were going too far on the hate for Duvall. Um, we were kind of the only people that, not the only people, but one of the few I would say that were advocating to keep him around um even into this year and tendering him and all that stuff so you know that's nice to have that a little, a little bit validated in this spot um not a, honestly kind of a weird thing in that you know Duvall's facing a a top tier right-handed pitcher and bombs yeah like if they had a better left-handed pinch hitter they would have used him there it mm-hmm. wouldn't have been Duvall but they yeah. have Ortega is the only option, and uh, I, you know, mercifully they didn't, they did not go to Ortega there. I kind of was expecting it to be honest with you, because of the standard rationale that Snicker made and the fact that he went to him yesterday, um, first. You know, the all the only reason basically that they gave for Ortega to be on the playoff roster was was a left-handed bat. So I was bracing for Ortega to have that at bat, and yeah. uh, you know, to their credit, that was not the case, and it was Duvall who's their best pinch hitter, and that happened. So yeah. Go and on, I will man. say, I will say, I am as critical of, of Snit as anybody you will find. However, he does deserve credit tonight. Um, he he was strong. I mean, we uh, like you said, it was pretty fifty fifty as whether or not Fulty should hit or if he should be taken down for a pinch hitter and then handed over to the bullpen. That was so bad last night. Um, he obviously made the right call there. He made a nice call with Max Fried in the eighth. Um, and, and while it wasn't the cleanest of, of ninth innings, um, <laughs> they, they did. I mean, Melanson got the outs and, and they won the game. So a night after pressing about every wrong button that you can press in a, in a nine inning baseball game, um, it was much better. Or at least the results are better tonight for Snit and he deserves credit for that. Yeah. You know, I said this last night, I, I, I did not think that Snicker, you know, was, a complete disaster last night. It didn't go well results-wise. You know, a lot of the moves I, d- I didn't love. Um, but the only thing that I just hated last night was letting um, Melanson pitch to Wong in the ninth. That was indefensible. But everything else, there were some moves that I didn't love, but I didn't think, I actually thought Snicker was not as bad as people thought he was last night. That's maybe a hot take. And uh, it actually got me, I tweeted this, it got me It got me called a, a Brian Snicker apologist, Zach. That, uh, <laughs> um, Zach told me that uh, he saw something, and I was like, yeah, um, 
that happened, there was a tweet out there that called me a Brian Snicker apologist. Uh, you should make that your bio in Twitter. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, guess you're new to the podcast or new to my Twitter feed or whatever it is. But, um, yeah. you know, tonight, though, to, to what you were saying, you know, we talked about the fourth inning before. I didn't love what happened there. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the ninth inning now with Melanson. That was the that was the one decision that was, uh, I think, criticized. And I, I thought, you know, justifiably so by some. I didn't hate Melanson there as much as some, some people did. Um, it didn't, you know, he did he did not look crisp to me necessarily. It, it worked out fairly well. I would have, uh, and I said this at the time before it happened, I would have gone, I would have left Freed in there to pitch, to pitch to Edmund. And yeah. I would have had, I would have had Shane Green pitch and not Melanson. Um, I'll say that now, even though they won the game, but there is something to be said. And, you know, Snicker said on the podium after the game that it was always going to be Melanson. Um, and, you know, to his credit, I guess Snicker is well known for having his guys back and kind of running them back out there. I think Bennett Hip, good friend of the program, pointed this out on Twitter in the moment. He's like, it would have been kind of off brand for Snicker to not put Melanson back out there. That's yeah. a very Snicker thing to do. Um, and it, it quote unquote worked here. It was not easy. He did allow two base runners, and there was a lot of uneasy moments in that ninth inning. But um, you know, it worked out. Free was obviously incredible in the eighth. He looked awesome. Both strikeouts were borderline erotic um, huh. with the curveball. Yeah. Uh, you know, I understand why you wouldn't want Max Reed to go two innings because he's not necessarily used to that role. I think he looked so good, and I think he's. I mean, maybe you disagree. I think he has the best stuff of anybody in the bullpen right now. Um, that's just my opinion. Uh, oh, but, 100%. No, I agree. Yeah, so with all that said, I think I would have rode with him. But, you know, we don't know all the dynamics there. Maybe Freed's not super comfortable doing going two innings. I don't know. Um, I but, still think, too, with Freed, and we'll talk about games three and four here in a little, but I still think – I know they've talked about Julio starting game four. Yeah. Um, I, I still kind of think they might give that ball to Freed. Even well, that if was one of the arguments him. that was out there. Like tonight, like maybe, maybe he won't he put him still, two innings because they're going to save him for game four. I'm like, he well. can, they could still do it. It might be one of those they see how game three goes and see the status of the bullpen and if they need Freed in he, game he, three. He can't pitch in game three if he's going to pitch in right. game four. Exactly. Obviously. So if you're, if you're tied in the 10th inning and your choice is either – Freed or uh, Josh Tomlin, Josh Tomlin <laughs> I, I would go towards Freed and then you figure it out later, right? So, um, yeah, so I, I think it, it was, I, I mean, for everybody at home who's not thinking necessarily like our job is riding on the line that, hey, you have to find a starter for game four, I, I kind of get it in that sense. I, I was in the in the camp of let Freed go out for the ninth and see what he does. If he gives up a hit, uh, then pull him for Melanson but, or even Shane Green, but Again, ultimately it worked out, so I guess we'll take it. They also, um, and I'm not sure this has been discussed a whole lot. They could go to Keuchel in Game Four. He'd be on three. He'd be he'd be on three days rest. Yeah, and I, I mean, he he was not great in Game One. No, given I, I mean, splits, I'd be, I would, I would, oh my, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I almost think I would take right-handed Julio on regular rest in Game Four than uh, than Keuchel on short rest. But yeah, I mean, Julio. Uh, yeah. I think they kind of they, they kind of um, flagged that by adding Julio to the roster because it's going to look weird if Julio does not pitch Game Four yeah. because that's the only reason to add him to the roster. Like otherwise, you just go to Blevins and you have someone to pitch to Colton Wong or whoever. What do you want to do here? Yeah. Um, so that's it's kind of weird. I, I just want to put that out there. Like it is conceivable to me that Snit would go to Keiko in Game Four. I'm not advocating for that by any means, but. I think the three options basically are Julio, Max Freed, or Keiko on yeah. three days rest. So, well, and I and I think they realize that without Chris Martin, they have to almost have Freed in the bullpen because he's going to take on such an important role. Because I mean, let's be real, Martin was arguably the best reliever in the second half after the trade for the Braves. Yeah, so. no, he's he's very. I mean, that's kind of an underrated loss, and we, you know, I'll cop to the fact that it was my fault. We didn't that we didn't talk about this last night uh, extensively. It was on my notes. I just blew past it. But Eric and I didn't talk about that, but that that's a real loss. Like oh, it's I, huge. I, I trust Martin quite a bit more than most guys in the bullpen. Like I think you could argue maybe Shane green, but other than that, I think Martin would be the guy I trust. I, I mean, Melanson too is Melanson has been good. I don't want to, I think people got over, got carried away a little bit with Melanson. Obviously he was terrible last night and he should have been discussed as being terrible last night, but he has been pretty good. It's not like he's terrible. People are talking no. about him like he's some trash reliever, and that, that's not true. Um, he's been good. But, you know, 
Martin is a real loss. That's not like losing your sixth reliever. He's yeah. a, one of your top three guys. So mm-hmm. no, it was, it was a loss for sure. Yeah. Um. So all that to say, like, oh, last thing we talked about Freed and Green and Melanson. This might be controversial. W- what do you make of Melanson facing Wong again? Um. After with two guys on base in the ninth, because um... Newcomb was up. They could have done it. They could have done. It. I was, by the way, just to, I'll, I'll say my opinion first. I was way more upset about this last night when Melanson clearly had nothing and was laboring, yeah. and he was twenty five pitches in. Tonight, I'm okay not going to Newcomb there, because by the way, they're going to pitch it for Wong if you go to Newcomb. Yeah. So the decision basically is Melanson against Wong or Newcomb against pinch hitter, or you can go to if you want to get super galaxy brain. You could take Newcomb out without throwing a pitch, and then you can go to um, uh, Green, and but then they might pitch it again. Yeah, like no, I mean, I think uh, to be honest, I didn't even realize uh, Newcomb was warming up in that moment that he was an option as it was live. So yeah. I guess I can't fairly be- say right now what I would have done. They, they but, finally, uh, um, they, just so you know, they finally had. There was a while there where they had nobody warming up. And it was noteworthy. I was like, man, there's nobody warming up right now. Like, what happens if he starts imploding? And they started, they got both Green and Newcomb up in a hurry when yeah, it was somebody sure. on base. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it worked out. I mean, hindsight, I I think the idea of Newcomb facing a righty is probably not as appealing as Melanson. I mean, the thing was today, like, obviously, Melanson didn't have it last night, but some of those balls, I mean, Carpenter's ball was a blooper down the line. Uh, I don't know how Marcelo Zuna's ball was fair down the line. Even. Colton Wong, I mean, they they just played pepper with the foul lines, and they were just, you know, they go three inches to the right or the left, and and it's a different game. Um, so it's not like, I mean, you know, Goldschmidt hit one off the end of the bat. Ozuna hit one that was going to bounce and somehow looped it into right. So yep. it wasn't like he was getting tattooed. Um, so in the moment, I, I, the thought of they need to pull him never crossed my mind in the moment. I, again, I didn't realize they had Newcomb up in that scenario, but um, – I was kind of in favor of just letting Melanson ride it out. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on this one. Uh, I made myself very clear last night that I thought it was utterly indefensible that Melanson faced Wong um, after giving up multiple runs already, and that ended up costing them dearly. Um, but this time around, like to your point, Melanson, I don't, th- I didn't think he looked great, but he was not getting pelted. It was not like he was getting blasted all around the park. He missed some spots, but once you go to him there, you're, you're showing, you know, Snicker even said, like, that was the plan all along. They were going to go to him there, and I think he would have had to give up some more damage to get taken out of the game. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's an argument, I think, if he gives, I think if he gives up a hit to Wong there, like a double to Wong, and it's suddenly 3-2, to two, you probably see Shane Green, I would imagine. Um, yeah. But until then, I think he was going to go down with the ship with Melanson, and, you know, it's the kind of thing that you hope, and Melanson was... You know, to his credit, took all the blame on Thursday night. He came out. He, he came out to, to talk to the media on Friday night and was uh, pretty clearly, you know, kind of just relieved. He had that relieved look on his face. Yeah. He's not like a big talker anyway, but I think he just was happy that it was all, that it was over and uh, he was sort of avenged. But so the good thing is you didn't lose him, and they're going to need they're going to need Mark Melanson. Like he's going to have to be good in this playoff mm. run. If you want to yeah. make a run, like he's going to be in some high leverage spots where he's going to have to be good. So on the bright side, his confidence is probably helped by the fact that he was able to close that game out. No, absolutely. You need him. And especially without Martin, as we talked about, um, everybody kind of takes has to pick up a little bit of the slack and um, good on him for, for closing out the game. And, and now you, you're tied up at 1-1 and going to St. Louis. Yeah, so in terms of just this game, that's kind of all I have. Any any final thoughts on this game? And we are going to look ahead a little bit to the rest of the series now, but any any final thoughts on, on game two other than just a fun win? Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, it was fun. Good. Had tip the faulty and Duval for you know two guys who weren't necessarily contributors all year long, um, but they had huge games and and now they at least put them in a chance. Now it's best of three, so everybody has a chance. My final thing is uh, unless I miss something, there was not a single member of the Atlanta Braves that reached base twice tonight. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, I mean, but a bunch of guys with one hit, a bunch of guys with one. Like I think actually everyone reached once and no one reached twice. If I'm doing the yeah. math right here. Everyone that that played reached, but no one reached twice. So, like, mm. no no star other than Duvall, but, man. Yeah. 
There you go. Kind of a weird it's box kind of the opposite of last night where you had all got, you know, the box score was pretty filled, but obviously it didn't result in the win. Whereas, again, tonight was more of a regular season game. You know, yeah. it was a well-pitched, Full low, uh, you know, again, nothing is low drama in October, but <laughs> fairly low drama other than like the ninth inning and, and some of the early innings with when the cards had a couple guys on. But, um, yeah, it was, it was about as enjoyable as 3 nothing games go in the playoffs. For sure. Um, all right, let's look ahead a little bit. Last night I said that you know there was no argument that the Braves were favored in the series down one nothing. Now that it's one one, you could certainly argue that. I, you know, best of three. My overall thought is that the Braves are the better team. I said this last night. I thought, I thought the same thing last night. Even though they were down one nothing, that they were still the better. They were still the better team. I believe that now. The caveat is though that two of three are in St. Louis, and that does matter. I know the Braves have been good on the road this year, but. You know, Vegas lines will dictate, and I think everybody will just acknowledge that you'd rather be playing at home than on the road. So my extremely lukewarm take is that this is a coin flip series now. Yeah, I'm with you. And, and now you have Mike Soroka. I mean, that's that was the thing. You obviously wanted to at least win one of these two games. You, you ideally win both, obviously. But now you have your best pitcher since day one, where he had, I mean, I don't know if folks realize like how historically good Soroka was on the road this year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you 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 at least feel a lot better about your chances now than you did 24 hours ago when the sky was more or less falling. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to think. Like with a gun to my head, being an analyst and not just a pure fan, who would I pick in this series? I think I I think I'd probably take the Braves, but it's like fifty two forty eight. Yeah, it's I, not, I mean, it's yeah. not a big split. Like by the way, just for the record, in case people are curious about this, at this moment right now, Bet Online um, has the Braves as a slight favorite in Game Three, even on the road, um, because of Soroka, and yeah. Soroka's pitching against Adam Wainwright, who's not been great this year. So a firm pitching advantage to Atlanta leads it to where you have the road game favor, a road team favored. That was the same thing tonight, by the way, Game Two. The Cardinals were favored because they had Flaherty on the mound. Yeah. So very, very similar there. But, you know, if you assume, by the way, if you assume that the Braves are favored in game three slightly, then I think, like, if you're doing, a, like, a series price to bet on the rest of the series, the Braves would have to be the narrowest of favorites. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I you know, not to call my own shot with three games to go, but I, I thought the Braves were going to win in five. And I, I still do. I think that's what I would predict right now. Um, I, I feel pretty good, honestly, about Soroka on the road um, against the Cardinals team. That, I mean, let's be real. Other than the eighth and ninth innings in game one, I felt, I don't know about you, but I felt like the Braves have been the better team for uh, 16 of the 18 innings so far this series. Yeah, um, they, they haven't played great, but I tend to agree. Like the Braves, I think this, we we both said this on the, on the preview podcast, and so did Eric. The Braves are the better team in the series. They have a better roster. There's not really a situation where I'm super worried about anything. No, I mean, beyond just my normal Atlanta sports PTSD. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Like, it's not, there's not a baseball reason why the Braves are not better than the Cardinals, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm not, and I'm not sitting here either saying, you know, go ahead and order your, your games three and four tickets for the NLDS against the Dodgers, right? But <laughs> I do think you feel good about having Soroka, um, again, this is a team that's been better on the road all year. I don't know if that's just baseball being baseball or if there's really a thing about it, but again, they, they've played pretty well. I know, you know, you can't just overlook the eighth and the ninth innings of game one. There were some circumstances beyond the on field with Martin suddenly being hurt and seemed like they really had a, a plan down to a T and then you get a big curveball late and, and there's no excuse for just the complete collapse of those two relievers, but at the same time, you feel a lot better with Soroka going. We'll see what they do in game four. As we said, it probably depends on who's needed out of the bullpen, whether it's Freed or Tehran or Keuchel on short short rest. Um, but, uh, again, it goes without saying, tonight's win puts them in a position to feel at least like they have a shot. Because if they if Fulte doesn't perform like he did, Duvall doesn't hit that homer, you know, you, you go down 0-2 with two games on the road, potentially a game five if, if by some miracle you win two in Bush Stadium. Um, I don't think even the most loyal fan was going to think that was a real possibility. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't have been over, but it would have been. You're talking about like a five or ten percent chance at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a uh, positive situation. There was a couple of questions that we got about this. This is a long way in the future, and uh, hopefully, the Braves will finish this thing in four. Now, uh, hopefully, 
But people ask this question, so I'm going to ask it to you, Scott. Um, provided they get through um, and we're going to a game five in Atlanta on Wednesday, would you start Dallas Keuchel or Mike Fultonavich? Mm, I would start Fulty. I think, I mean, personally, what about you? I, I think I'm with you on this. Um, part of it's the matchup. Um, obviously, Fulty pitching this well is a big thing too, but you know the matchup against a right-hand dominant lineup is a big thing. Keuchel, I think, was actually worse than his than his earned runs were on Thursday. I didn't think he was very good. Like he wasn't awful by any means, but no. there was some smoke and mirrors in there. Um, and Fulty would be on full rest as well. I think you go with Fulty. You know, game five. It goes without saying that all hands are on deck. Um, but I think if you ask me right now today. What I would do, I would go with Fulty. My prediction is that they'll go with Keuchel because I cannot see Brian Snicker in his managerial style. Maybe I can see it. I would not predict Brian Snicker, with all that we know about him, passing on the veteran whose turn it is in Game Five. Like mm. maybe, maybe, maybe Fulty's available. Maybe you know I think everybody's available at that point in time in a must-win game. But my prediction would be Keuchel. What I would do would be Fulty. Yeah, and again, this is probably something that'll be dictated by the next two games. I mean, right, and, and that's entirely possible too. Who knows how much of a bullpen will be needed? You know, maybe uh, Julio starts Game Four and only works three innings, but they decide to use Keuchel out of the bullpen on short. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of moving pieces where, as they say, if it's either an elimination or a clinch game, all 25 guys, other than maybe the guy who pitched the day before, yep. are available. So uh, it, it, I think absolutely. it'll be determined significantly by uh game three yeah and honestly that's not even something that i was going to even bring up but i got two different people asking me independently on twitter so i wanted to ask it to you and present it a little bit we'll talk more about that later if we have to again ideally you win these next two in st louis finish it off and set the rotation for the next series that'd yeah. be uh, a better plan um because honestly you know as much as game fives are fun for for people that are not invested I have no interest in watching a game five, Scott. It'd be fun. No, I, I, just I would like off. two stress-free wins in St. Louis would be really nice. That would be uh, optimal. I would even take stressful wins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess if, they're, if your options are stressful wins or boring losses, you'll take stressful wins. I, I would take the stressful win. Yes. Um, that's probably it, I think. I mean, game three is going to happen. There's a day off on Saturday. Game three... We'll see how this goes. Soroka against Wainwright, um, if that stands. I, I think that's the projected starters for uh, for St. Yeah. Louis, and obviously Soroka's <laughs> going to pitch. I feel great about that. I mean, that's the best pitching matchup that, th- that this series can offer for the Braves. Yeah. So I mean, truly, it, it, it is. Uh, it is. Like it's, it. it's their worst starter against your best starter, in my yeah. opinion. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't really get um, much better than that on paper but it's the playoffs and things don't happen on paper in the playoffs yeah i mean it's the most like brave thing ever that they would lose the start that miles michaelis started but they win the jack flaherty start um it just feels like like (laughs) the the prop bets on that knowing the braves history of things like this would have been it would have been a good chance to make some money yeah that's a good point i mean to to that point it's worth noting the braves scored three runs tonight and one after scoring six and losing in game one. So the pitching matchup is kind of like, you know, they didn't perform all that well in either spot. Um, it just happened to be that Fulty was a lot better than Keuchel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And didn't have to go deep into the bullpen. And Melanson was better, obviously, today than he was yesterday. And all this stuff, nothing is as obvious as it's supposed to be in the playoffs. And uh, I have a feeling, Scott, prediction time, that game three, we will not be talking about how it was a regular season game feel where – they're worth, you know, six pitchers total used. Yeah. No, that seems right. Especially when you know that, I mean, what's the, I would love to know the numbers on teams that go down two to one in the NLDS, their chances of winning, I would assume are low at best. So yeah, Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not impossible. It's two games, right? You win game four and then you win game five and all of a sudden you're, you have another series, but um, I'm with you. I think game three, we should be in for a really good one. Yeah, the winner of Game 3, I would guess off the top of my head, probably takes like a 70-30 lead in the series, like per- percentage-wise. Just because of the reality of having to win two games in a row if you're, sure. down, if you're down 2 to 1. So, mm. yeah. And by the way, I said six pitchers. There were five pitchers that pitched tonight. Well, there you go. Only two for the Cardinals because the Cardinals, mercifully, only had to throw eight, eight innings. 
because that's what happens when the home team yeah. wins. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, we can end there unless you have final thoughts, Scott. This is a little bit shorter no, than last night, and that's just I'm, fine I'm, with everyone. Yeah. I think. No, I'm glad they. I'm. I was really dreading. I knew we knew for the people listening, we knew that I was going to do this one, and like I actually had the thought process of like, God, I hope they don't lose because I don't want to do a podcast if they lose. Like we you dreaded know, it last night. I mean, we did not you know, have yeah. fun. We we yeah. knew going in it was not going to be fun. And listen, there was plenty of stuff to litigate. So. In some respects, it was kind of up our alley because it became a very uh, process-driven podcast yeah. in game one. But at the same time, there was the narrative, and it's just not fun to discuss. Like, heartbreaking is too strong of a word, but certainly a maddening loss. No, it's a kick in the kick in the groin. I mean, it was. It was. It was just one of those. It's like, God, how did they? How did they let that game get away? That was such a winnable game, and not to bring up the hurt of game one, but. It was good to see them go out there, get an early lead. Fulte's awesome. You know, bullpen holds on. Um, it, it would have not been a good scenario if they ended up losing today. Absolutely right. And we'll look forward after a uh, much-needed off day for all parties on Saturday. We'll look forward to Sunday afternoon. We will have a podcast after Game 3. Uh, in fact, we've not litigated who's going to be on it, but I will be here. Um, maybe all three of us? I don't know. We'll see what happens. At least... Somebody else with me will be here on Sunday afternoon, um, I guess evening by the time the podcast actually happens. And same for Monday because uh, Monday's game is not is no longer if necessary. That game is going to happen regardless. So we will have at least two more podcasts about the series. Hopefully they're both positive podcasts. We can look ahead to the, NLD, to the NLCS after the second one. But uh, that's Programming Note. We'll be here Sunday and Monday. And uh, that's it for me, Scott. Thank you for joining me as always, my friend. Of course, man. This was a lot of fun. It's always good to do these after wins. So hopefully we get a couple more happy pods and move on to the NLCS. There you have it. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please tell your friends. It's a good time to spread the word about the show, considering it was off of a win and there's an off day and people have time to listen to the podcast on Saturday. So tell somebody that you know that's not a listener about the show. We really appreciate that. And we'll see everybody on Sunday. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.